Hi, Crime Salad listeners. We're your hosts, Ashley and Ricky, and we're here today with another true crime episode that we both researched, put together, and hosted just for you in the form of a crime salad. The information that we find is mostly found on the internet, researching court documents, articles, and local news. And just to keep you in the loop with a small change with this podcast, Crime Salad episodes will now be available for you every Thursday moving forward. Thanks for all of your love and support always. Oh, and one more thing. If you would like to help support Crime Salad, share our podcast with a friend and give us a five-star review on Apple Podcast or any platform you listen to podcasts on. Lauren was born in 1997 in Berkeley, California. She was very bright and active and was always energetic as a young child. She started out as a young track star at the age of eight and stuck with it all the way through high school and into college. Her parents celebrated her athletic success with trophies and medals in their home. She excelled at track in high school, winning state in the high jump her senior year and accepted a track and field scholarship at the University of Utah. In college, she was an all-star on and off of the field. She competed in the Outdoor Pac-12 Championships and was also honorable mention Pac-12 All-Academic. Her story all began on September 2nd, 2018, just last year. Lauren was 21 and took a break from a busy week of classes to go out with her friends to a local bar, like most college kids do. Well, that night, Lauren meets a charming guy who introduced himself as Sean Fields. But during this episode, we will go by his real name, which you'll understand later, Melvin Rowland. Melvin was a tall, muscular guy who stood about six feet tall and weighed approximately 250 pounds. He was working as a bouncer at a popular college bar where he met Lauren. When first meeting Lauren, who was this young, attractive college student, he draws her in with his attractive personality and looks. After that night, the two stayed in touch. He would often visit her on campus at her dorm. He was always being noticed by other students coming around to see Lauren and also made friends with them. But they had no idea who this guy actually was. And if you'd like, you can always take a minute to go to our website, We posted some pictures of Melvin, and we'll let you be the judge. But from first glance, I would assume he was a student attending the University of Utah, just like the others did. Nothing really sticks out to me, but I admit, it's kind of hard to tell these days. Over the next few days, Melvin oddly starts to get very clingy and controlling. Now, this is all in the same month that this started, like they just met. It's still a little early for clingingness. I mean, we're talking maybe just a week after they met. Things started to get a little extreme when Melvin no longer let her hang out with any of her friends. And it didn't take her friends long to notice something was out of the ordinary because this wasn't like her at all. 
She was beginning to look miserable, and it was all starting to physically show. You could see it in her face. Something wasn't right. When he would come over to Lauren's along with friends that would already be there, he would often talk about guns, which made her and her friends very uncomfortable. It's one thing to have an interest in guns, but Melvin seemed to be obsessed with them, and this is pretty much all he would talk about. Towards the end of the month from when they met, Lauren's close friends at school spoke to a staff member who worked at the university. They were concerned for their friend. Something wasn't right with this guy. Whether or not the staff member was a security guard or just working at the university is not mentioned, but they went on telling him that he was very controlling and spent a lot of time at Lauren's room and just seemed dangerous. Lauren's friends also went to the housing officials days after, but sadly, that's about as far as it went because it seemed no action was ever taken. But the report seemed to never reach the campus police or the behavioral team on campus. It was now October, and things were getting worse whenever it came to Lauren and Melvin's relationship. Lauren was now stuck in a relationship that she no longer wanted to be in, even more so when Lauren found out that he has been completely lying about who he was this whole time. You have to remember that up until this point, Lauren thought Melvin's name was Sean Fields, a student attending the University of Utah. But she soon finds out that his real name is Melvin and that he's only acting as a college student. In reality, Melvin was actually a 37-year-old man. And to make matters worse, he was also a registered sex offender who spent 10 years in jail for rape. After finding all of this out about Melvin, she immediately confronted him and he instantly denied that he was 37. But he did admit to being a registered sex offender. Lauren was in complete shock and disgust and put an end to the relationship. She then filed a report against Melvin to the university police to protect herself. This is when she started getting threatening text messages. She assumed these were coming from Melvin or one of his friends, texting her over and over, telling her to kill herself. She continued to get these hurtful text messages into the next day when she went to the university police herself to file a report. One of the messages was a threat attempting to blackmail her to send money. The text threatened to share an intimate photo of her and Melvin online if she didn't send over $1,000. So, feeling as if she had no choice, she transferred over $1,000 in hopes to keeping this from happening. So, now she's in a situation where she is continuously being harassed by text message, and she doesn't feel safe at all. I mean, at this point, you'd think the police would step in. I mean, she's now reached out to the University of Police numerous times, calling, texting, and showing up in person. And this kind of just blows my mind because the campus police didn't step in or at least make contact with Melvin or even look into the reports. I mean, I could see like a small relationship argument being ignored by the police, but like this guy was a sex offender. He's committed crimes and he's lying about his age. Like it should all be in the report. And with no help from campus police, she was still worried for her safety. So, thinking she'd have better luck with the actual police, she went to the Salt Lake City Police Department. 
However, they just told her to speak with the campus police. Although they did take a formal report and pulled Melvin's records, they somehow missed that he was actually on parole during all of this. So her case was then assigned to a detective to look into it, and he was supposed to check in on Melvin. But due to more important cases, this never happened, and most of his time was actually spent on other cases. Now, this is a pretty odd situation, and it's quite frustrating given the number of times Lauren tried to protect herself by reaching out to the police. I mean, I completely understand that campus issues happen all the time, and they most of the time just resolve themselves. But given the severity of the situation, the false name, and, you know, the false age, and then on top of that, having a record and being a sex offender... How did this just slip through the cracks? Can we really say the police did their part to protect Lauren here? I don't know. It just doesn't feel like it to me. During this time on October 16th, and what I feel is so frustrating, is Melvin had a visit from his parole officer because he actually violated his parole by going on social media to use a dating app. However, his parole officer knew nothing of Lauren or the threats that he and his friends were making towards her. So where was the disconnect here? If they were to find this out, this would have been a violation on his parole and he would have been sent back to jail. But like we said, the parole officer never knew anything about the reports against him. And again, how does this just slip through the cracks? I don't know. I just don't get it. We're going to take a quick break here to tell you about BetterHelp. BetterHelp is an online service that I personally use for my mental health. They provide a number of professional licensed counselors who specialize in all situations that may be interfering with your happiness. It's seriously my personal outlet to get my mind right. It's affordable. It's so convenient. I decided to give BetterHelp a shot when I was going through a very anxious part of my life. So I just signed up and I was matched with an amazing counselor who was so willing to talk with me right away. We actually set up a video chat later in the week to catch up. We are all so busy. Give yourself the care that you need today. Start living a happier life. As a listener, you'll get 10% off your first month by visiting betterhelp.com slash crime salad. Join over 800,000 people taking charge of their mental health. Again, that's betterhelp.com slash crime salad. Three days after she reported Melvin to the city police, She called them again, and this time, she even tells police that Melvin knows that she reached out to them, and she thinks she's in serious danger now. At this point, she was now at a complete loss. She's tried everything. She's completely terrified for her life, and she doesn't know what else to do. The dispatcher tells Lauren that the detective on the case will return her call, but he won't be back until October 23rd. And in the meantime, she should just get a hold of the campus police. And that's the only option she really has, so that's what she plans to do. I mean, I really don't get this. Were they thinking that this was just some boyfriend who was jealous and, you know, didn't really think about the severity of it? I mean, it makes me wonder how many other cases happened just like this. Honestly, I just think that the campus police were being naive here and just not taking the case very serious. Or maybe they were just being lazy and thought this whole thing would resolve itself. I'm really not sure. 
Yeah, you'd think it would. Sadly, this was all just a mistake on the police's part. Like, what more does she have to do to get help from the police? So Lauren, who's now desperate, decides to send campus police screenshots of his criminal history and his sex offender details, thinking that maybe this would make it more of a real issue for them. So picture this. There is now an older man who has a criminal record and is a known sex offender on campus grounds, and he's harassing a young girl. I mean, if you were a police officer, you'd think this would grab your attention right away. Like, this is a big deal. And for a reference of time, the screenshots were sent over the weekend of Saturday, October 20th. And then on the morning of Monday, October 22nd, Lauren received another suspicious text message claiming to be a police officer she was familiar with and one that she had already talked to. The text was a request for her to walk over the police station. Something just felt off about this. And she decided not to go, thinking that, you know, maybe this could be Melvin. So instead of going or responding to the text, she actually sent an email to the police station directly. In the police records, they mentioned that she was told not to respond to the text, but the single fact that she was getting this specific of a text is bone-chilling. So what exactly was the purpose of someone pretending to be a police officer and, you know, then trying to get her to walk to the police department on campus? Could this have been Melvin's plan to just get her alone? Well, a few hours after this text, we can clearly see that, yes, this is definitely an attempt to get her alone. And it's beyond frustrating and sickening that police still never took drastic steps to protect Lauren, even after all of these red flags and warning signs. Later that day, around 6 p.m., it was known that Melvin was waiting in the residence hall with a few of Lauren's friends, but we don't exactly know why. Until around 8.20 when Lauren was approached by Melvin alone in the parking lot, while she was returning from night class, talking to her mother on her phone. Her mother heard a scuffle, and then she heard her daughter say her very last words, screaming over and over, no, 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 and pleading for her life. Her phone and books dropped to the ground, and Melvin violently dragged her and forced her into the back seat of his car, where he shot her multiple times before leaving the scene. Her mother was still in shock to what she just heard, and Lauren's father then called the police. And here we'll play the actual 911 call that the father made after Lauren was abducted. Take a listen. No, no, okay. So this is more than that. She was abducted while we were talking to her on the telephone. So, so we heard her being assaulted, and we called the uh, University of Utah campus police. And I'm just calling you to let you know that this just happened, like, uh, an hour ago. And it's not just she went missing. Was, was it they were in the view of Lancer? Um, could you please say that again? Was it that they were in that silver view of Lancer? Uh, I don't know anything about a silver Buick Lancer. Okay. Yeah. University let us know about it, and we had our units, okay. um, we notified them as well. Uh-huh. Okay. Okay. Thank you. Uh-huh. All right. Okay. 
When the police arrive, they found her belongings scattered on the ground as more and more police officers arrive on the scene. They then find Lauren's bloody, lifeless body in the back seat of his parked car in the parking lot. Oh my gosh, could you imagine the mother hearing her daughter over the phone crying for her life? And from what I came across, they were just about to hang up. Right after he murdered Lauren, Melvin was picked up by a woman who he met on a dating site. They casually went out to a fancy restaurant and then went back to her place where he took a shower and then asked her to drop him off at a local coffee shop, thinking maybe this could be his alibi. But his plan backfires when the murder is presented on a local news station and Melvin's picture is shown as a possible suspect. Seeing this, Melvin's date immediately notified police of his whereabouts. Just hours after Lauren's body was found, Melvin was found dead with a self-inflicted gunshot wound at Trinity African Methodist Church in Salt Lake City. Along with the news broadcasting this horrible murder, the university alerted students of the murder and what happened in the area even though it was assumed Melvin had already left the campus property. Police revealed that it was in fact Melvin who was sending the threats via text message the whole time who demanded the $1,000 and stalked her for three days and spent three hours hanging out with her friends on the campus grounds before killing her. How in the world did he get away with all of this? And where was the police? For him to be present on the property at all and to be there for so many hours just blows my mind. It's scary to think that this was a monster in disguise this whole time. And his background explains that this guy's plan wasn't anything good. Before he murdered Lauren in 2003, he was caught by police as he thought he was meeting up with a 13-year-old girl, but it was actually an undercover investigator. And then around the same time, he was arrested for forcefully raping a 17-year-old woman. And during his parole hearing that we came across, he explains how he is well aware that he uses manipulation to get what he wants from women. And this is years before he met Lauren. While the investigation took place, the pieces of the puzzle were coming together. The probation officer never received any information about Lauren's reports to the police. Like we said earlier, if they were aware, he would have been placed in jail. Reports show that she called the campus police more than 20 times, including the days just before she was killed. The University of Utah claims that their campus is understaffed, while Lauren's parents are fighting for their daughter, holding on to the fact that they failed to protect her and feel that the university is not taking any responsibility for their daughter's murder. But the university pledges to make changes, to run more background checks, to hire more officers and increase training and organize better communication between the security, police, and housing officials. After months of considering whether or not they should file a lawsuit and not getting any apology from the university, they decided to file a lawsuit against the University of Utah for $56 million in damages. Their plan is to put any money received from the lawsuit and put it towards a safer campus. Following Lauren's death, on October 24, 2018, a vigil was held for Lauren's honor at the University of Utah. 
her track teammates arrived wearing their track and field uniforms to commemorate her. This concludes this week's episode. As always, you can find pictures of what we came across on our website at crimesaladpodcast.com. You're also invited to join us on our Crime Salad Facebook discussion group, where you can post links to cases you think are interesting or share anything crime-related and meet other true crime salad investigators just like yourself and feel free to bring a friend. And if you would like to help support Crime Salad, write us a five-star review on Apple Podcast or wherever you're listening to us now to help other listeners find us. Remember to follow us on Instagram and be sure to tell a friend about Crime Salad. Thank you all so much for listening. See you next week. Crime Salad is a true crime podcast delivering a healthy portion of crime. Crime Salad is a weird salad production. Are you kidding me? That was perfect. All the blood, blood, all the pain, pain. All the blood, blood, all the pain.